right, thank you again for joining us this morning. We are uh, enjoying the day. I hope you are as well. hope everything's going well for you. We want you to know that we are praying for you and uh, looking forward to the day that we can all be back together again. And hopefully it's not too far down the road. And, you know, there's, I know there's some advantage just to being able to sit at home and watch. And, you know, some of you are probably doing some brunch right about now, biting down on some bacon. I wish I could be there with you for that. But, uh, hey, we're looking forward to, to having you back with us. You know, we, all of the advantages, they don't outweigh the disadvantages of us being able to be together and do what God's called us to do. So we're looking forward to that. You know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about fear. Uh, Pastor Kevin started us out talking about how we should pursue the who rather than the what. And then last week, Zach talked about Jesus teaching on anxiety and worry. And uh, uh, you can go back and look at those messages online. We did that with Zach. If you remember, he was pretty engaged about the birds. So we thought we'd have a little fun at his expense and watch it at two times. And, and, and it went sort of like this. Watch this video. Think about birds for a second. Just sit back. Birds. Right? Birds are everywhere. They're all over the place. I mean, you can look outside your, your window right now and you would see birds because they're all over the place. Birds aren't worth much. I'm not a necessarily a bird guy, but, but for all of us, you know, birds, if you were driving down the road and you saw a little dead bird on the side of the road, I mean, it's not something you're going to pull over, stop getting on your phone and call everyone and say, oh no, we got a dead bird here, what are we going to do? There's a bird right here, this is my address, we're not going to do that. Right? Birds, we don't care. They're not, they're not worth much. Uh, some, and I totally understand that some of you people, you're bird people and you love birds and you're all about birds, you feed the birds, you watch birds, you catch birds, you do all these things with birds, maybe even you have a pet bird. Um, I, some, of you, some of you people are a little crazy. Okay. Good stuff. I mean, appreciate Zach's message last week. And, you know, now we hear we've got it, made it to, to Palm Sunday, and it's hard to believe. But next week we'll be celebrating Easter and looking forward to that. When it comes to Palm Sunday, you know, typically we're thinking about the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and the people waving the palms and, and shouting as he, as he entered the city. That story culminates as you look at the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 19, but it actually begins way back in chapter 9, because back in chapter 9, verse 51, we're told that when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And so Jesus, recognizing that it was getting close to the time when he'd be headed back to heaven, back to his father, made the determination that he would go to Jerusalem knowing that going there would mean that he would go there to die. We've got to appreciate the dedication that that took and the, the commitment it was for him to be obedient to his father and to show his love for us, demonstrating that love as he died on the cross for us. We appreciate the dedication. You know, this is a time when we, we talk about dedication a lot. We've talked about it in regards to our healthcare workers as they put themselves in danger going into work and, and, and still they go, taking that risk. But here Jesus is knowing absolutely for sure that going to Jerusalem would mean he'll die. And still he goes. It's incredible. So if you read these chapters, between chapter 9 when he made the determination to go to Jerusalem and chapter 19 when he actually enters the city, you have all this information in between and you read it with the perspective of knowing he's on his way to Jerusalem to give himself for us. It really gives a different perspective on it. In chapter 11, Jesus comes face to face with some of the hypocritical religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And what he does to them in that passage, as he confronts them, doesn't really fit in with the picture that a lot of people probably have of Jesus. 
You know, I think a lot of people think of him as sort of passive and mild-mannered. What he does is he sort of knocks that out of the, out of the house. He lays them out. He's taking no prisoners. And as he's confronting the Pharisees, he comes back to a point where the legal experts jump in and they start to defend their friend, the Pharisees. And one of the lawyers says to him, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. When you're ripping these guys apart, it's an insult to us. And so Jesus is like, okay, you want some of this too? And he goes on to destroy them as well with his words. What Jesus did to these guys was no technical knockout. They're out cold when he's finished. You know what happens? A crowd shows up because people like to watch a fight, don't they? I mean, they wanna see what's happening. They wanna see who's going to win. They wanna see who's going to lose. They wanna see how badly he loses. See, this time the crowd doesn't come because Jesus is working miracles. What we think of a lot of times, people start showing up because they wanna see a miracle, they wanna get a miracle. That's not the case here. They're coming to see a fight. And that's where we pick up in chapter 12, verse one, that says this, under these circumstances, with that fight having just happened, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, literally it says tens of thousands of people, and they're stepping on one another. They're not practicing good social distancing here, okay? Many thousands, they came to see the fight. And Jesus begins to speak to those who are following him. He begins saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven, we know in scripture, oftentimes represents sin. Sin that is growing, sin that is expanding. The leaven of the Pharisees, the sin of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And so he's warning his disciples here, saying, hey, that, that sin that grows, that expands, the leaven of, of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. You guys have to watch out for it too. Because it's a, it's a temptation on all our part to live one way publicly, to be something different behind the scenes. He says here, Verse two, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. He's like, hey, this is what we're talking about. Whatever you've done in, in secret and whatever you've said in secret there's going to be a time when we stand before God and nothing's going to be hidden. What our heart is, as it really is, will be seen. That's what's going to be revealed. We have to keep an eye on eternity. That someday we're going to stand before him. And Jesus continues and he says in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. As you read through that, 
it might seem like there's two different messages going on there. Seems like there's a message about fearing and then there's a message about not fearing. But when you look at it a little further, you realize there's one consistent message to us here. And that message is that we don't need to fear anything in this life. That message is that our focus should be on what's eternal. And you may have noticed that there's some of the material here, some of the stuff in here that sounds a lot like what Zach covered last week. You know, the birds, more specifically here, sparrows, insignificant sparrows. Back then, the poor would eat them. That's why they could get five for two cents. See, they're not worth anything. But what we're told here is this, that God knows all of them. Those cheap, little, insignificant sparrows. Not one is forgotten. And we're more valuable than many sparrows. So the obvious point is, if God hasn't forgotten a sparrow, he's not going to forget about us. There is value and worth that God gives to us. And because of that, we know we're not forgotten. Maybe this is a time when some of us feel more forgotten, you know? Maybe you've lost your job and you're, you're not sure when you're gonna be working next and, and you just feel a little forgotten. Maybe it's, you know, you're a single mom and you're struggling, you're trying to raise the kids and pay the bills and it just seems, seems too much sometimes and you feel forgotten. I know there are some of you probably today watching that are in some care facility or your family can't get in to see, your friends can't get in to see, you're feeling forgotten. Or you're elderly and maybe your family hasn't stepped up to the plate. They haven't done what you think they should or could at this time. What you've got to know is this, you are not forgotten. We haven't forgotten about you here at Grace, but much more significantly, much more importantly, the God of heaven hasn't forgotten you. He knows your situation. He knows every detail of your life. God hasn't forgotten you. He sees where you're at. He knows all the details. He knows them better than you know them yourself. I mean, he knows the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> you, know, you probably don't know that. But he knows. He knows how many are there right now. He knows, and that number is changing every day, right? I mean, I'm not going to make any bald jokes here. We all know some people have a little less. But the average head, human head, has 100,000 hairs on it. 100,000 hairs, and they lose 60 to 100 hairs a day. I know this is true because we raised three daughters. And back in those days, when we'd walk into their bathroom, it was sometimes it was like walking into a jungle. I mean, there's hair everywhere. But the point of this passage, the point of Jesus, God knowing the very hairs of our head, isn't just about the hair, is it? It's about him knowing all of the details of our life. And he knows when they change. So we don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid because you're feeling forgotten. Don't be afraid because the details of your life seem overwhelming. Don't even be afraid for your life. I mean, Jesus even dismisses that fear in verse 4. He said, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. 
Jesus himself is the greatest example of obeying that and following that, isn't he? Just shortly after this. See, there's just nothing in this life that needs to cause us to fear. Doesn't mean we enjoy everything. That doesn't mean we don't have things in our lives that are not excruciatingly painful. That doesn't mean we don't go through heartbreak. But the challenge from Scripture and the encouragement from Scripture is not to fear. Think about some of the great verses, just, just some, a few Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there. He's with us. Psalm 91, 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There's nothing to fear in this world. So encouraging. But that's not all Jesus said here. Jesus does give us one legitimate reason to fear. Just before he talked about the tenderness and compassion of God and knowing us and not forgetting us, he said in verse 5, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So don't be afraid of the guy who can take your life because that's all he can do. But here's the one to fear. It's the one who can cast you into hell. By the way, that's not Satan. We know that because we're never told in scripture to fear Satan. We're told to resist him, but never told to fear him. And he doesn't have authority to cast anyone into hell. He himself is going to be cast there someday. He can't do it himself. No, the one to fear is God himself. Fear God. And that phrase is repeated in this verse to stress the point. I know some people, they're like, I don't want to follow a God I have to fear. You know, my God's loving. Well, our God is. He's loving. And let me make it clear. If you've turned to Jesus in faith alone, believing in his sacrifice as payment for your sin, trusting completely in what he did on the cross, you never need to fear being turned away to spend eternity in hell because he has adopted you into his family and guaranteed your inheritance. But that same one who loves us, loves us so perfectly, is also the one who has the authority and the power to condemn people. And because he's not only loving, but also a God of justice, Jesus tells us that those who don't know him should fear him. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A lot of times we talk about the fear of the Lord, that phrase that shows up in Scripture, as referring to a reverential awe of him. And and that idea is true many times. But for us as believers, and for us as believers, there should be a reverential awe of him, of how great he is, of how awesome he is. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is a terrifying fear of God's holy wrath. I know that people respond and think, well, they, hey, we shouldn't try to scare people into heaven. 
But you have to remember, these are Jesus' words. And if fear motivates someone to begin to consider turning to God, well, I think that's exactly what Jesus intended. The word for hell here is the word Gehenna. It's the name of that valley. You've probably heard of that just outside of Jerusalem to the southwest of the city where the Israelites in rebellion against the one true God set up worship of the pagan God, Molech. And in setting up that worship, part of that worship was to, to do human sacrifices. And they would bring their children there to be used as child sacrifices in the worship of this pagan God. Can you imagine that? How horrible a place that was. King Josiah came along. He's like, no, we're going to do things the right way. And he cleans that place out. He wipes it out and he makes it a dump. It becomes the city dump where trash is piled and trash was just there smoldering. Some people tell us that that the bodies of criminals were even thrown there to, to rot and to burn. It's a horrible place. Never will forget going to being in Cambodia and going, being in Phnom Penh and uh, in the city and walking through the slums of that city and coming to the city dump. It was uh, maybe the worst sight I've ever seen. 30 or 40 feet high of smoldering garbage covering 100 acres. Around 2,000 people lived on that dump, 600 of whom were children. Children who were working along with their parents and digging through that trash, trying to find something that they could sell or something they could eat. They had little shacks built on top where they lived. Just awful and a stench of that place. I can still, and I stop and think about it, I can still sense that smell. It was just terrible. I think that's something of the picture of Gehenna that Jesus uses here. Awful scene. And he tells us, fear the one that could send you there. I don't know what it is that might motivate you if you haven't already turned by faith to Christ. You know, I know sometimes people turn to him because of the positive things in life. They look at their lives and they realize, boy, there's, there's a lot of good here. They, they think, well, I've got a good family. I've got a good home, decent home. I got a decent car to drive. There's food in the refrigerator. I've got all these blessings. My health is good. I've got good friends. And they look at their life and they go, they realize, you know, this didn't just happen by chance. It wasn't by luck. And it's not all here just because I worked really hard. Because some of this is out of my control. And they begin to realize that God is the one who's blessed them. That's exactly what scripture tells us. The Bible tells us that he sends rain on the good and the on the just and the unjust, on those who follow him and those that don't. He does that for a specific purpose. 
The book of Romans tells us his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, that we would come to a point where we recognize that God's done this for me. He's good, he's loving, and we would turn toward him. We would seek him because of the good things that he's given to us in life. And some people are motivated by those good things to come to him. But then there's other people who are motivated to come to him by the struggles of life. You know, they've, some of those very issues, their family and their job, they begin to fall apart. And so marriage is falling apart. They're having struggles with their finances. They're having struggles with their health or they've lost someone they love and they're going through all this, this up, Heaval in their life and they're realizing they can't control it. They can't handle it on their own. And so they're looking for help from somewhere. And so they show up at church or they pull out that dusty Bible and start reading it and they start looking for an answer from God. Some people are motivated by those difficult times to seek him. And then there are other people who realize where they stand before God and the fear of hell and the realization that we'll stand before him and if we haven't come to him in this life that he will in fact turn us away and the fear motivates him. Whatever it is that motivates you to turn to him, God uses those motivations to bring people to himself. Now none of those motivations on their own will save us. We're never saved by fear. We're never saved by gratitude. What saves us ultimately is a desire to know God. And that's Jesus' message to those who came to see this fight. So when we put all that together, what Jesus is stressing is that our focus will be on what's eternal. We need to be driven toward him. For those of us who are already believers, there's the encouraging word that we don't need to fear anything that might happen to us in this life. We don't have to fear being forgotten. We don't have to fear the unknown. We don't even have to fear for our lives. But our focus should be on the eternal. See, if we go through this time, this difficult time that we're dealing with right now, and we come out on the other side of this, and we aren't refocused, if we come out of this and we aren't more humble, if we come out of this and we haven't recommitted ourselves in prayer, if we come out of this and we aren't more committed to God's word, if we aren't more committed to each other, if we aren't more committed to reaching the lost, if we come out of this and our hearts are not broken because of our sin, our disobedience before God, if we come out of this and we haven't fallen more in love with Jesus, then we have wasted this time. If as a believer, what we're concerned about right now is our money and our food and getting things back to normal, nothing wrong with those things, they're important things, but we can't be distracted by important things that aren't all important. Our primary focus cannot be things in this life. What's all important has to be eternity. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never placed your trust fully in him for forgiveness of your sin. I don't know what's holding you back, but I would encourage you to think about a couple of things. First of all, think about the kindness of God. Think about all the good things that he's provided for you in your life. Think about where he's brought you. Dwell on his kindness. Think on that for a while. And then the frightening thought of standing before him one day and having him send you away to face an eternity in the darkness and torment of the reality of a place called hell. And if you're thinking, I don't, I don't think God would send me to a place like that. You gotta know that Jesus said, if you don't turn to him in faith alone, he will do just that. But in the goodness and grace of God, he's offering salvation to you right now as a free gift. If you'll just turn to him, if you'll express to him, you can do that in your own heart and mind and just admit to him, tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I know there's nothing I can do. I can't fix this on my own. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I want to know my sins forgiven, so I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm doing that based on what Jesus did on the cross for me, that he paid the price for my sin, and I'm asking that that payment be applied to me. God, forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Change me. Give me new life. Give me eternal life. And I promise you, because Jesus has promised, that if you turn to him and ask that, humbly asking God, he will answer that prayer. He'll come into your life. He'll change. Not only will he change your eternal destination, but he will also walk with you through this life. You'll know the one who has provided a way for you not to fear whatever you might face in life. And I want you to know if you have questions about that decision, you can fill out that online connect card that Mike was talking about earlier. You can let us know you'd like to talk to someone. We'll get back to you about that. But for all of us, maybe especially at this time, what God is drawing all of us to, whether we're a believer or not, is to think about eternity. Nothing to fear in this life, but someday we'll stand before God. Where's our heart? We're gonna close in prayer. Then Tim's gonna lead us in a final song. But I encourage you, again, if you're not a believer, you haven't come to that point of faith, think about those things today. Make that decision. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God for your goodness, your grace, your love, for extending to us an offer, an offer of life, eternal life. 
Father, I pray for those who may be weighing that decision right now, thinking about it, God, that they would go ahead, they'd take that step. God, draw them to yourself. For those of us who are believers, help us not to be distracted by things of this life. Help us, Father, to be committed to the eternal, to eternity, Father, to making sure that our lives are right before you, that we're dealing with the sin in our life, that we've got a perspective of eternal things. God, bless us today. We thank you for, again, for saving us, giving us this opportunity to worship you today. Father, we pray your blessing on the rest of our day as we get ready to, to dismiss this service. We pray this in Jesus' name.